Greetings. You are about to hear one of a multi-part series on the dedication of Solomon's Temple, entitled Restore the Glory, by myself, Dan Augsburger. I shared these presentations in the fall of 2015 in the Stanbro Park SDA Church in Watford, England, which is a northern suburb of London. In this series, we look at the construction and the dedication of Solomon's Temple. In doing so, however, we compare the building and construction of that temple with the prior construction and dedication of the first tabernacle in the wilderness and the subsequent construction and dedication of the second temple, which was constructed after the exile. We will also look at the construction and the dedication of the temple of our hearts. I believe you will learn much from these presentations and will be blessed. I hope you'll be able to hear all of them. They can be found at my website, discipleheart.com. If you have further questions or want to communicate with me for some other reason, you can write me at path to prayer, P-A-T-H, number two prayer, path to prayer at gmail, G-M-A-I-L, gmail.com. Path to prayer at gmail.com. Once again, this is Dan Augsburger. I appreciate your taking the time to listen, and I pray that you will be blessed. Good evening and welcome. I appreciate all of you coming out this evening. Um, was everyone there on Sabbath or are there some newcomers? Anyone that wasn't there on Sabbath? Because I gave a fairly detailed overview of what we're studying about. I'll just give you just a, a little hint and then I have a story to, to begin. But we're actually looking this week at the construction and the dedication of Solomon's Temple. But we're doing it through the filter of the construction of the first tabernacle, Solomon's Temple, the second temple that was built after the exile, and also the temple of our hearts. Because they're all connected. They're all connected. And they're fascinating lessons to learn when you look how things kind of progressed through all of that. And so as we're studying, keep those four places that God wants to rep represent himself. When I speak of the temple of our hearts, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so what God did through the tabernacle and Solomon's temple and the temple after the exile, he wants to do in our hearts, okay? And I would add that this is all somewhat related to moving into your new sanctuary. And those temples were built so that God could dwell amongst his people. And when you come to church, it's not just hear music and good sermons, but it's to experience the presence of God. God wants to meet you there, okay? And so when you do worship, what is worship about? Actually, when you worship in a church, it's an audience of one. It's God. That's who you're worshiping. And so we're going to try and look through the, through the progression of the building of the temples, what God wants to do in us and in our church, okay? Let me say a word of prayer, then I want to share a story. Father in heaven, it is a privilege to be here this evening. I thank you for each person that has come out. I ask, Father, that you would give me freedom Give me the unction of the Holy Spirit. Help me to speak in such a way that my accent will not get in the way of people understanding. And that, Father, the Holy Spirit would be doing the work here for me and for them. I'm not praying for my success at all. I'm praying for your success and the success of this church. So please be here in a powerful way. In Jesus' name I pray. I want to tell you folks about a missionary by the name of John Patton. John Patton was a missionary that was born in 1824, and he was a missionary to what was then known as the New Hebrides Islands. Today we call the New Hebrides Vanuatu. It's a series of islands in the South Pacific. 
Um, and I share this story because we see in John Patton a picture of a family who raised their children to know God by way of, of the example of the parents, children who were raised to believe that God had a purpose for their lives, and when he became old enough, he went to serve in spite of the tremendous dangers that he would be facing. Um, as I said, he was uh, born in 1824. He was from Scotland, and he went to the New Hebrides Islands. The New Hebrides Islands at that time was uh, populated by cannibals, and much of his mission service would be spent being chased by natives with muskets and, and uh, knives and other things. He was in constant danger, but he believed that he'd been called. He had been chosen to serve God there, and therefore he went willingly. Uh, he was raised one of five sons and six daughters in a humble three-room house. From the age of 12, he began working 14 hours a day, I believe it was, um, and there uh, he would still take several hours a day to, to study and to learn. But there was something very significant about the family. Three times a day when they would eat, the father would go to his prayer closet, and there he would pray, and the whole family could hear his prayers. And I'm not saying that's the way we should pray in our prayer closet, but the whole family could hear his prayers, and they said it was as if they'd been ushered into the presence of God. There was no question that God existed in that family. They knew because of the prayers and the example of the family. So eventually he heard the call to go and serve overseas. Other people told him, you shouldn't be going, that's such a, a dangerous place. When he asked his parents, he discovered that the father had, had made a decision when the children were younger. The father had said, since I am not able to go into ministry, I choose to consecrate all of my children, all of my boys rather, to go into ministry. So he learned that already the parents had given them and the parents said, it's not for us to decide, it is for you to go. And so he, he went, he had gotten training at a seminary there in Scotland, and uh, he married Marianne Robson, and 14 days later on the 16th of April, accompanied by one other man, they sailed to the South Pacific uh, to the New Hebrides Islands. Uh, they arrived on the island of Tana in the southern part of the New Hebrides, on November 5, 1858, and built a small house there. As I said, they were cannibals. They chased them around. They made their lives difficult. Three months after their arrival, a son, Peter, was born. They rejoiced, but just 19 days later, his wife died. His wife died to soon be followed to the grave by the newly born Peter, who only survived for 36 days. It's interesting that he was devastated by the loss, but he knew that he'd been called and did not feel permission to leave. And so he stayed there, enduring much hardship. Eventually, he left, and uh, because of, of the danger and the difficulties, he went. He tried to raise funds. He married again, and he went back in 1866, not too much long after, and settled with his wife on the island of, of Anawa, the nearest island to Tana. There they built themselves a house, and uh, two houses for orphan children, etc. And over the years, they worked hard, and uh, by the end of his life, all of the natives of Anawa had become Christians. Okay, so when he went to the first island, his wife had died, his son had died, and, and he's chased. He talks about how there were times he spent entire nights in trees because he'd been told that was the only safe place, and he would hear the natives shouting. But he made the following statement. He said, without the abiding consciousness of the presence and the power of my dear Lord and Savior, nothing else could have 
cause me to not lose my reason and perishing miserably. In his words, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Those became so real to me that it would not have surprised me to see him appear one day and looking at me. I felt his supporting power. He says, It is a sober truth, and it comes back to me sweetly after 20 years, that I had my nearest and dearest glimpses of the face and smiles of my blessed Lord in those dread moments when musket, club, and spear was being leveled to me. Oh, the bliss of living and enduring is seeing him who is invisible. There are joys that this world gives that do not compare with the joy of knowing you're living in the presence of God and serving him. The world has, has fooled us. It's deceived us in thinking that there's so much joy everywhere else. But he went, and he was grateful that he went. He says at the end of his life, let me record my immovable conviction that this is the noblest service in which any human being can spend or be spent. This is the noblest service. And that if God gave me back my life to be lived over again, I would, without one quiver of hesitation, lay it on the altar to Christ that he might use it as before in similar ministries of love, especially among those who've never heard of the love of Jesus. He said, if I were to do it all over again, I would want to have the same kind of life. And he says, not only that, he says, nothing that has been endured or nothing that can now befall me makes me tremble. On the contrary, I deeply rejoice. He had found the joy. When Jesus makes you glad, nothing can make you sad, nothing can make you afraid. And he says, I breathe the prayer that if it may please the blessed Lord to turn the hearts of all of my children to the mission field, that he may open up their way and make it their pride and joy to live and die in caring the Jesus and his gospel. He said, I pray that my children will go, and even if they die in the mission field, that would be fine. Now, all of you know your British history better than I do. One person that's famous over here is that lady by the name of Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley. She was the last of 25. She had 19, but, but only 10 or 11 of them survived. But when John and Charles come and ask permission to, to go to Georgia as missionaries, and by that time she was a widow, her response was, if all of my sons asked to go and I never saw them again, I would want them to go. So as we turn to a time of prayer now, here's my suggestion for you, and it's going to be silent prayer, not with anyone else. Just talk to God. To what degree you have really become joyful in, in serving God? To what degree have you really given your life? Okay? Because unless you're really giving your life to God, unless you really are committed to that, even a new sanctuary can't make a difference in your life. Did you know that? It's what God does in our hearts. So spend some time talking to God right now about what you want done in, in your life and in the life of your family, in the life of this church, as corporately, as collectively, you give yourselves to Him. We'll take five minutes, and it'll be just silent prayer, just on your own, talking to God, reviewing where you stand and where you'd like to get. Okay? Thank you for praying. And I hope we will be praying extra this week. Ask God to do a, a, a miracle this week. Why not? You know, pray for the church. Pray for yourself. Pray for your families. Pray for the lost, as uh, the slide was showing earlier. Uh, because miracles can happen. I've seen miracles happen as I've gone places. And uh, why not have some miracles this week? Be a wonderful blessing. Well, brief prayer, Father, again. I'm depending on you in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you have your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. It's a, a wonderful statement of God's love to us. I think it should set the tone for our relationship to God. It was given to the children of Israel, but I think it applies to us as well. For you, Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord God has chosen you. Praise God. God has chosen us to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the people on the face of the earth. I think as far as God is concerned, all of us should be special treasures. Special treasures above all people on the face of the earth. And maybe there's some people tonight who don't see a lot of treasure, but... You know, if you read through the Bible and you look at the people that God called to follow him, you know, rough fishermen, you know, a, a woman at a well who at that point had been married five times and wasn't even married to the man she was with, uh, to uh, Levi, who was a tax collector. Uh, you look at the backgrounds of people like Moses and David, there's no reason to be discouraged tonight. God loves us more than we love ourselves, more than we love each other. And then God explains why. It says, The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people for you were the least of all people but because the Lord loves you. We're so busy trying to prove our value to God but God says, I love you because I, I love you. That's how we should relate to other people as well. And then in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, 1 Peter 2 verse 9, this is kind of God's statement to us today. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. That you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. God has called us to be the light. Actually, says we're the salt of the world and the light of the world, right? And I find it interesting that salt makes everything better and light gives light. And I believe that if we're really living like Jesus wants us to, our neighbors and our coworkers will say, "Praise God! There's a Seventh Day Adventist in my neighborhood. Praise God because there's a Seventh Day Adventist at my workplace because they're so loving, they're so honest, they're so careful." We're called to be a, a special people, and I I pray that you believe this. Well, God has chosen us, and he's looking to us to represent him in a glorious way, day in and day out. Not because we're so great, but because he becomes great in us if we yield our lives to him. That's the beautiful part of Christianity. It's not about you and me. It's about what God can do. Listen carefully when we get out of the way. When we get out of the way. And we're going to discover that's a major, major factor to how God blessed during the construction and, and, the, and the ongoing operations of those temples we're referring to. Now, it goes without saying that God has communicated with his people uh, through, uh, it directly, uh, first of all, like to Abraham, you know. God spoke to Abraham and some of the other people early on. Later he did through the sanctuary that, that he built for the children of Israel, through the symbols in, in the furniture, obviously through Jesus directly, and in our day, largely through the word of God. Largely through the Word of God in our day. It does, it's not that truth changes, but that God gives us that which is reliable. Now, there was a time in the Dark Ages when, when you couldn't hear truth and God said, look within. But in our day when we have the Bible, God says, look to the Word. 
if you want to be saved. Anyway, so uh, we're talking about the construction of the temple, and we want to look this evening at how David prepared and called his son Solomon to build, because we learn a lot about how God wants to be a part of our lives and how he wants to bless us in seeing David's preparations. So uh, let's look at this. First of all, God loves us, and he's made provision for us to be uh, his children. In just a moment, let me find where my notes are. Uh, as I said, we have the four, the tabernacle built by Moses, the temple built by Solomon, the second temple after the exile, and the temple in the heart of the New Testament. Okay? So let's look at, um, at how David worked to bring about these temples. First of all, David had a desire. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 28, verse 2. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 2. It says... Then David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. Second, First Chronicles 28, verse 2. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren, and build a house. Uh, my people, I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our Lord. Okay? He said, I had a desire to build a temple. Now, I am pleased that you've all had the desire to, to do something special and beautiful for God here. That's what David did. Okay? In the same verse, towards the end of the verse, he says, and had made preparations to build it. Okay? David not only wanted, but he was willing to do it. And one of the challenges of Christianity today is there's a lot of people that give lip service, but when it comes for people to actually do something or give something, they... They find other things they need to do. My brothers and sisters, it's not just to talk about it, but it's to live it if you want to experience it, right? Uh, so he had a desire. He, he wanted to do this, and it says he made preparations. Now, it's interesting that David was a little bit humbled, though. And this matter of, of, of humility is a theme that we're going to see. Verse 3 but God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. God said, David, and he says later, I was chosen, but he says, David, I have not chosen you to build that temple. And I believe it is in the purposes of God that at times he says, this one should do this, but, but not another. And sometimes we find it difficult. You know, if you look, for example, at at the uh, story of, uh, of, the, of Daniel and his three friends, God didn't choose to give the vision to all four. He only gave it to one. And often you find that God has chosen someone and we need to learn to humble ourselves, to submit, because in learning to submit to each other, that's how we learn to submit to God. And so David had a desire. He even told Nathan about it and he did it out of his love for God. He said, look at how well I'm living I want to do the same thing for God. And God said, no, you're not the one. You're not the one that I've chosen. And so Nathan actually had to come back and say, you know, God just showed me that you're not supposed to be the one. And David agreed. He was not bitter. My brothers and sisters, there's something about being a, a happy, you know, uh, encouraging Christian. Someone once said to, uh, to a Christian writer, uh, you Christians remind me of someone who has a headache. You can't afford to lose it, but you know it's hard to keep it. 
And, and I don't say this mockingly, but it's really true. If God is alive and he's promised to take care of us, shouldn't we have reasons to praise him no matter what's going on? Actually, I'll tell you a secret. Some of God's greatest blessings come delivered in rough packing cases. Okay? Often they come in the form of trials. Uh, I want to challenge you. If you go to the book of Daniel, look at every blessing that came to, to Daniel. How did it begin? It began as a disaster, didn't it? When should he have been praising God? At the end or at the beginning? At the beginning. And when he's finally talking about the, the, the lion's den experience, what is he doing? It says he's, he's praying three times a day with his window open to heaven, giving thanks as was his custom, because he knew that God could be trusted. And so David wasn't bitter, and so he begins to prepare. And I'm fascinated as I read about the preparations that uh, he made. Okay, but before he, he tells Solomon about what he's going to give him, uh, if you look at verse 9, he gives a wonderful charge to, uh, to Solomon. We'll start in verse 6. Now he said to me, it is your house, it is your son Solomon, God is talking to him, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever, if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments, as it is this day. Now therefore, in the sight of of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and all the hearing of our God. Be careful, David said, to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children forever. David recognized the importance of following and obeying God. Then verse 9, As for you, my son, listen to these words. First of all, he said, Know the God of your father. David knew that God was trustworthy. He knew that God was merciful, and so when he says, know the God of your Father, it's not an abstract thing. He's saying, I've come to know him, I've come to trust him. Come to know God as I know him. I ask you, parents, this evening, can you honestly say to your children, know the God of your father, know the God of your mother, and know that there's, there is something real about your relationship with God. It's not just something you do on the weekend when you come to church. It's a serious question. Can you say, know the God of your Father? First thing. And serve Him. I think of John Patton when I read that. And serve Him. You know, I, I sometimes preach a sermon called The Lone, No Limit Christian, which which Rose likes me to preach. It's about all kinds of famous Christians who, who gave their lives to God and according to Desire of Ages, page 250, where it says there's no limit to the one who gives himself, you know, making room for the Holy Spirit. Parents, if you want a no-limit child, you must be no-limit parents. Did you know that? For many, a, a child who wants to go serve God, sometimes there's friends or there's parents or there's others who say, oh, I don't think you should do that. And they tried to convince John Patton not to go, but the parents said, what? You go. We already consecrated you, and where you go is between you and God. It's not up to us. David said, know the God of your father and serve him. What does the Bible say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness, that which he approves and all these other things will be added unto you. The best way to know God's blessings is to, is to see your life as one called to serve. Famous Christian, I may speak more about him this week, is William Carey. He said, you know, I repair shoes to support my missionary service. That was his purpose. 
And no matter what we do, brothers and sisters, our first job is to serve God. Did you know that? Doesn't mean you're in the face, but that means you are constantly available to God wherever you are. And I believe if we begin to serve God as we should, and I'm speaking to myself too throughout these meetings, I believe God will give us those divine encounters because God knows we can be trusted to serve him and share about him with others. Anyway, he said, serve him with what? A loyal heart. What does it mean to be loyal? You're loyal to a person when people are saying bad things and you're saying, hold on, that's not true. You're loyal to a person when there's a commitment and you say, I've got to go. He said, serve him with a loyal heart. In other words, with a tenacity that will not give up if people say things or circumstances seem to be difficult. He said, know him and serve him with a loyal heart. I need that as well. And he said, and with a willing mind. With a willing mind. You know that, that, that God leads us on a progression and, and he leads us step by step and like, like I'm thinking of Elijah who, who gave that announcement to King Ahab and then he went out to the, to the brook and, and, and God took care of him but then the water ran out and God said, now you must go. And sometimes God leads us you know, to accept more truth or to make other changes in our lives that perhaps at one time we didn't feel convicted about. And he said to his son, serve him, you know, know your God, serve him, okay, with a loyal heart and a willing mind. And my brothers and sisters, as we come into this week, we need to come with the idea that we want to serve God loyally. God, what is your will? What is your desire? How do I stand? And Lord, if you show me, I want to be shown because I plan to obey. What do you think? What do you think? Oh, God wants to do miracles in my life, and he wants to do things in your life as well. But he continues. He said, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. In other words, we can say one thing, but God knows what our motives are. God knows exactly what's going on in our lives. And, and sometimes we make mistakes. And sometimes God reveals that we've made mistakes. But my brothers, it isn't to condemn us or to hurt us. It is, listen carefully, so that God can love us more. Did you hear me? God shows us our mistakes so he can love us more. It is not a negative thing to be a Christian. Some people may think it's true, but that's not the case. It says, because God understands all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts, if you seek him, he will be found by you. There's no question. No question. If we're serious with God, God will be serious with us. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. In other words... If we ignore God, the time will come when we don't even have an interest in God. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you. He said, you have been chosen. And I believe with all my heart this evening that every one of us has been chosen for a specific purpose. There are people who will not be in heaven unless we make ourselves available to God. Someday, I believe our neighbors will be asking us, don't you think you could have said something? Our workmates, what do you think? I don't want to hear that. That's why I'm trying to let the Lord change me. I pray all the time, Lord, we just lost this. I pray that the Lord will make all the crooked places straight to get rid of the sin in my life and purge self. Those are the three things I worry about. And I think he's big enough, and I think he'll be big enough to do that for you as well. Anyway, so, so he gave this charge to Solomon. What a wonderful charge. Know God. Serve God. 
loyally, willingly, knowing that you've been chosen. And he can do more than, than that. He's more than able. So anyway, then notice what happens in verse 11. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had. How? By the Spirit. David didn't just sit at his workboard and draw something up, but it says he gave him what he had by the Spirit. In fact, if you look at verse 19, it says, All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. David gave credit to God for all that he did. It wasn't just a plan. And so it strikes me that the first temple, Moses was given the plan, you know, follow the pattern, God gave him the plan. In the Solomon's temple, God gave the plan. Not sure about the second temple, because the second temple had some problems. You know, it didn't have an ark, it didn't have some things. And, and maybe it didn't have an ark because they'd substituted the, the words of man for the law of God. I don't know. It's an intriguing thought. And God has given us his word so that we know the plan for the the temple of our hearts, right? Absolutely. Anyway, so David gave him plans. Also says, of all the chambers around, verse 13, also for the division of the priests and the Levites, for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord and for all the articles of service in the house of the Lord. David gave plans to his son. Very, very complete plans. Okay? We're not going to go into all the furniture, but he gave the plans. And then we find that he also made provision. Verse 14, he gave gold by weight for things of gold, for all articles used in every kind of service, also silver for all articles of silver by weight, for all articles used in every kind of service. And then he goes on to talk about the weight of the lampstand, etc., etc. David gave whatever was needed to build that temple. He had worked at it. He had, he had made a priority so that he could give. But notice, there's a very interesting thought here. He, there's a very interesting thought. It says, um, in verse 20, first he's chosen to be strong and, and, to, and to do what he's been asked to do. But in verse, thir- verse 3 of chapter 29, if you want to turn there, it says, Moreover, because I've set my affection on the house of my God, over and above all that I've prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver, 3,000 talents of gold uh, and 7,000 talents of refined silver, etc. David said, because I love God, not only have I chosen to give all that I prepared to give, but I have given of my own treasure because he loved the temple of God. My brothers and sisters, it's a question for me too. How much do we love God? At moments of need, do we say, I have the extra that I'm willing to give? I think of the story that Rose shared on Sabbath about the missionary that, that, that would go to um, first to Fiji, then later to India. They were in Fiji. They were all missionaries. They were all needing, you know, like anyone else. And, and they become convicted that this one man needs to go. And the one man says, well, I have this money and you can use that. But when they needed more money, he said, well, actually, I've set aside some money for my future, but I want you to have that money too. And so he'd given, this is in the 70s, $4,500. you know how much money that is? That's a lot of money in the 70s that, you know, was being kept for your own missionary work. And before they left, uh, he told them, he said, uh, 
do you have any money? And they didn't. And he gave another $500. That's what I'm talking about. Do you love the Lord? Do you love the people around you so much that you'd be willing to sacrifice to the bone, so to speak, because you want them in heaven? The people that did great things for God, they didn't do it just because they felt obligated. They did it because they loved God. And my brothers and sisters, that kind of love is something we pray for. Did you hear me? We need a new heart. We need a new mind if we're going to love like that. Anyway, I love that, where it says, moreover, because I set my affection on the house of my God. It's more than just loving, but he said, I have set my affection. I have chosen to to place my first interest. I have chosen to put my greatest love right there. And today, my brothers and sisters, this world is full of options and different ways to spend our time and spend our money. And Satan is in the business of trying to distract us. We have nothing left for God. And David said, I have set my affections. I have set my affections. What is the word there? I have set my affections on the house of my God. I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I prepared for the holy place, my own special treasure of gold and silver. God had put a love for himself and and a love for that temple on David's heart. And so he said, I gave all that I had and even more. Notice what else David does. Uh, Verse 5, he says at the end of the verse of chapter 29, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? He called others to do the same thing. He wasn't ashamed or embarrassed to do it. And says in verse 6, then the the leaders of the fathers' houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of the thousands, etc., offered willingly. They offered willingly. And they gave the work of the house of God 5,000 talents, 10,000 derricks of gold, etc. And whoever had precious stones, they, you know, when they needed precious stones, someone said, you know, I've got one of those stones at, at home. I'll bring that. It's wonderful. Out of a love for God and out of the example of someone who was giving, many gave and joined in. You know, when Moses was raising money for the first temple, so many people gave that finally... He said, you've given too much. Stop. Wouldn't it be amazing if there were that kind of generosity in the church today? Do you think God would like to do it here in in this church here? Absolutely, Stanborough. And you know what someone said? You can never outgive the Lord. You can never outgive the Lord. Anyway, David would later praise God. Another important point in verse 10. Well, actually, in verse 9, it says, Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. It gives joy. It is truly better to give than to receive. And later, David would actually say, he says, Actually, what have we done? We have only returned that which was yours already. We need to get to the point where we see that everything we own actually belongs to God to be used when, where, and how he chooses. Does that seem radical? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Well, what are some lessons that we learn out of this? What are some lessons that we learn out of this? Um, First of all, God wants to be a part of our lives. He wants to be a part of our lives. Second, he has a plan for all of us. Just as David had a plan for the temple, he's got a plan for us and for his church. God has also made abundant provision for whatever is needed. 
But to bless us, we need to know God so He can direct us. We need to be loyal because it's not popular. We need to be willing. And just as David gave, if there's a need, we should trust God and give as well. Okay? Um, and somewhere I have a quotation of, um, well, I already read it. You know where, oh, I know where it is. I just want to read one little quotation to you, if I can find it really quickly. Um, I'll just tell you, when John Patton went to Australia and Scotland, the churches were poor, they had debt, they had all kinds of problems, but they got so excited about giving to his mission that they began giving, and lo and behold, the churches had such a wave of generosity, as he says, that they began giving to their own church, and the churches were out of debt. It's amazing. The more you give, the more God blesses, so you'll have more to give. My brothers and sisters, let's give God a chance. Let's give God a chance. And so as we turn now to a time of prayer, based on what I've shared with you, I want you just to spend time maybe praying with another person about what God needs to do and wants to do in your lives and in the lives of others as you feel comfortable. Now, if you don't feel comfortable with someone else, then pray on your own. But let's take some time talking to God so that we can actually make this a time of prayer. You have just heard one of a multi-part series on the construction and dedication of Solomon's Temple given by myself, Dan Augsburger, at the Stanbro Park Church in the fall of 2015. I pray that it has been a blessing to you. You can find the rest of the presentations at my website, discipleheart.com. Let me spell that for you. Discipleheart, D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-H-E-A-R-T, discipleheart.com. Perhaps you have a question that you'd like to pose to me directly. If so, feel free to write me at path to prayer at gmail.com. Let me give you the spelling, P-A-T-H, number two, P-R-A-Y-E-R, path to prayer at gmail.com. Once again, this is Dan Augsburger. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.